All right. So as Pastor Tim said, we're going to be diving back into the book of Ephesians. He had done the first half of Ephesians a while back. Last week, he picked it back up. Um, that was a great jump back in. Um, and I'm excited because we're continuing in what's actually one of my favorite chapters in the whole Bible. Um, and uh, my kids probably think it's Ephesians 6 because that's where it says obey your parents. But um, I really love chapter 4 um, because it's it feels like it's a lot of instruction, but like if you really sit with it, it feels like God is telling us what he believes we're capable of, and that just blows my mind. So I love chapter four, and I am just hoping that I can do it justice. The verses that we're going to be in today are Ephesians 4, 11 through 13, and these say, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And that's only three verses, but gosh, that's, there's a lot there. Um, so I'm going to pray really quick because... I want to be able to say what, <laughs> what God has in these verses, or at least a chunk of it. Um, so, Father God, <laughs> this is such a great word that you gave to us through the Apostle Paul, and I just pray that you would help me to do it justice, um, help me to say what you would have me say, um, and anything that's not of you, um, just have it fall on deaf ears and help uh, your message for our church to just sink into our hearts um, that we would go from this place um, looking a little more like you and who you made us to be. In your name, amen. Okay, so some of you might be familiar with these fivefold gifts or apest gifts, um, and this might be kind of new terminology for some of you. So we're just going to kind of jump into what are the APEST gifts. Now, APEST is an acronym, um, so it, it kind of helps it to um, be easier to remember the list that's found in this passage. Um, and so th I guess you could say that today we're doing like APEST 101, but the thing is usually a 101 class kind of scratches the surface of a topic, and we're not really scratching the surface um, because that doesn't really do much. You're just kind of moving dirt around when you're scratching the surface of something. We're more like taking a soil sample. Like if you're, if you're gonna do some farming and you wanna plant some seeds and you wanna know if the soil is good, what, what they'll do is they'll dig down with like a, a digger that will pull out like a column of the soil so that you can see at different depths what you're working with and if you need to make adjustments or if this is good soil for the work that you're trying to do. And so that's kind of what we're going to do. More like dig down. We're not going to go super wide and broad and try and find everything about every gift. Um, but as we pull that soil sample up, hopefully you can kind of look and go, you know what, this is the one where I'm going to need to grow. What does that look like? And then you can dig further and go deeper and broader um, on your own. So as we're talking about these APES gifts, listen for yourself. And if you don't hear anything else that I say today, just hear this, don't disqualify yourself. Okay, if I could, I would look each of you in the face and say, don't disqualify yourself. 
because you're going to hear some of the words used here, and you're going to say, that sounds like somebody who's got it all together. That sounds like somebody who is on staff, somebody who gets paid to do the Jesus stuff. And I'm just a new believer, or I've been a believer for a long time, but, you know, I've screwed up enough times that I, I can't do that kind of stuff. And that's not true. Okay, I can tell you right now when, through a lot of coaching, <laughs> um, Pastor Tim helped me on my own-ish to draw the conclusion that I am a teacher, like, there was a time I really had to sit with that and say, I don't believe that. I know I came to the conclusion, but I don't believe it. Um, and that's okay for a time. But hopefully you can move beyond the disbelief to the curiosity and then the acceptance and the ownership and the growth of what God does in your life because each of these things is for everybody. So listen for yourself being described, but also listen for the Holy Spirit and let him tell you who you are because he's right. And I had to have my husband tell me, you know what it's called when you disagree with God. Oh, But he and God and our pastors had patience with me as I went through this journey. And it is a journey. And this is a safe place to journey. So the first thing we're going to talk about is actually what the APS gifts are not, because usually a misunderstanding of them is the thing that makes us initially disqualify ourselves. So the APS gifts are not a badge of honor or a title that's given to super Christians who are meant to be on a stage or given a microphone or have their own special vlog and millions of followers or any of that. That's, I mean, most of that stuff didn't exist when the APS gifts were given, so those ideas are you know, we, we came up with those. It's also not, on the other end of the spectrum, a second-rate set of gifts. Because all the other ones are called spiritual gifts, and these ones aren't Holy Spirit-given. We'll talk about that in a minute. So these aren't that other set of gifts that God gave because he knew that some of his kids were going to be a little weirded out by the Holy Spirit thing. You know, so it's like you could disqualify yourself on either end of the spectrum. It's like, I'm not good enough for that, or, gee, or is that all I'm allowed to get? Like, no. <laughs> also, they're not a participation ribbon. Like, the APES gifts are for everyone. So the person sitting next to you also gets one or more or all five because we're made in the image of Christ. That doesn't mean that they're not special. <laughs> like, there's only one of you. There might be a million apostles and a million prophets and so on but there's only one of you. So it's not a participation ribbon so that you feel like you're a part of the church. All right, what they are is they are gifts. Now, like, think gift. When you give someone a gift, it's special. All right, and these are a little different from the others. Like I said, these were given by Jesus Christ, not the Holy Spirit. And when I first saw that, I thought... Well, what's the difference? Why does it matter? Well, it matters because um, in order to give a gift, you either have to have it or purchase it or 
created of your own creativity. And Jesus bought these gifts for the church. He didn't, like, figure out a way to make it happen inside of you. He bought the gift. We'll get into that in a second because it's, it's good. But also the APES gifts are for today. Um, there's a lot, a lot of people who aren't sure about that. But it's really pretty straightforward. If we look in verse 13, after it talks about what the gifts are and what they're for, it says, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now, does that describe you? It doesn't quite describe me. I'm like, one day, but the thing is, it's not on one of us. I mean, unity involves more than one person. Like, yes, we need to individually grow, but the body of Christ being unified, like God's doing work and we still need these five gifts. It's perfectly clear. This will continue. This will continue. So if as you're listening, you go, oh, gee, maybe I'm an apostle, but I thought there was only 12 of those. No, these, these are for today. One more point of clarification. The APEST gifts are not a personality profile quiz. This is not the Enneagram. This is not Myers-Briggs. We're not going to tell you which Harry Potter house you belong in. <laughs> this is, it's not about personality. Like Alan Hirsch says, it's not about personality. It's about purpose. And the same purpose can look a lot of different ways. You can get a lot of personalities with the same purpose. And that what's, that's what makes them beautiful, is that you were created with a purpose. Ephesians 2.10, which is, you know, just turn your Bible back a page, we're told we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things that he planned for us long ago. So he made us with a purpose. So now tell your neighbor, you were bought at a price, you were made with a purpose, and you are a gift. Because the really great thing about the APEST gifts, the mind-blowing thing, is that they are people. Notice the wording in this passage. It says, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers. Those aren't skills. Those aren't tools. Those aren't personality traits. Those are people. The apest gifts are people. And as scripture tells us, we were bought at a price. Jesus Christ literally purchased the apest gifts, that's you, for the church. All right, so we got to figure out which kind of gift you are. So we're going to talk about what they each look like, what they do. And remember, pay attention to where you hear yourself being described, because at the end, I'm going to tell you to talk to the person next to you about which one stuck out to you. That doesn't mean that we're going to engrave it on a stone and, like, you know, that's your thing. You have to do that for the rest of your life. But let's get talking about this. Let's, let's find ourselves in Scripture and then find out what God wants for us to do. So first up, we're going to talk about the apostles. 
Now, like I said, a lot of us are like, well, aren't there 12 of those? Because, I mean, the Bible calls them apostles pretty specifically. And, you know, that's pretty selective. But apostle means sent one. And there's a lot of those. Jesus sent out the 12, two by two. Later on, Jesus sent out 72. We don't even know who most of those people are. But they were doing Christ's work. They were doing kingdom work. They were sent. And Jesus is still sending people today. Now, it's kind of easy to say, well, isn't everyone sent, you know, the Great Commission, blah, blah, blah. Um, Yes, but not in the same way or with the same purpose or with the same focus. So while it is important for all of us, apostolic or not, to do the Great Commission, apostles have a specific focus. They have a distinctly bigger focus. Um, Some people refer to the apostles as the spiritual entrepreneurs because they often have more ideas and direction to like, oh, we could do this, that like sometimes they have too many of them. (laughs) So apostles have like this kingdom vision and a knack for like strategic long-term thinking. Like they want to go somewhere. They move us forward. So if you've ever felt like you might be a spiritual entrepreneur, if you're like kind of a vision caster idea person, that says something about you. Apostles also have this knack for recognizing cultural elements that a lot of us might skim over. Like, I've noticed that, like, Pastor Tim will point things out that I'm like, yeah, that's been going on. Like, how did I not catch that? Like, that has been going on. Like, good or bad, you know, something that needs to be nurtured or something that needs to be changed, like, they see things. Now, apostles also have this thing that makes us a little uncomfortable. (laughs) They're a little more aware of endings. A lot of us don't like endings, but also new beginnings. And they're not as afraid of them as a lot of us are. They're a little more comfortable with change because change usually means that something is happening, something's growing, and they help direct us where God is leading. Now, some of us, like, I I really love kind of holding on to the things that are comfortable Um, and when I'm told to let go of something that I feel like, well, it's still working for me, that can be a little hard, but that's why we have apostles, because if none of us were willing to say, you know what, it's time to make a change, we'd be so stagnant, all of us. And apostles, if it wasn't for the apostles, not just the first ones, but throughout history, the church would be dead. Why? Because... An apostolic perspective is what creates legacy and develops new leaders and hands over the baton, passes on the legacy for someone else to continue. They are the ones who are willing to hand over church keys. They're the ones who are willing to put someone else in their pulpit, which is not normal. (laughs) You know, in Western culture, it's like the pastor is like, that's his spot. But apostles raise up the next generation and move the mission forward. They guide transitions. They do the founding, launching, transition-type work, and we need them. So next we have the prophets. And that's another one that, like, for a long, long time, I was like, well, those they happened in the Old Testament, and then, like, then there was Jesus. And then, like, the, the apostles kind of had, like, a prophetic element because they, like, write scriptures and, like, you know, that kind of stuff. But does God still speak today? Absolutely. 
But the funny thing is that speaking for God is not the main thing about the prophetic kind of people. The thing that makes someone prophetic and speaking for God is that they are so tuned to him. Not just when they're delivering a word, not just when they're sharing, you know, a deep interpretation of scripture that like God downloaded to them and, you know, they had to set their sermon aside and <laughs> like just deliver the word. That's a part of it, but they hear from God because they're tuned to his presence. It's not that the rest of us can't hear from God. It's that prophets can't get enough of him. They're hungry for his presence, and they care deeply about the heart of God for his people. Which also means that if you're trying to do something that goes against the heart of God in the name of God, you're going to probably get called out. Maybe not from the pulpit, but, you know. Like, the prophets are the ones who say, like, I've been spending a lot of time with God, and a lot of time in his word and in prayer, and that idea that you have is, that's not what he wants. So prophets can make us uncomfortable too, but they can also be so deeply encouraging because the heart of God for his people is deep love and encouragement and building and moving and using you. So don't be afraid of the prophets. Like, we, we need them. They receive a word from the Lord. They reveal divine truth. They do. They interpret the things that we're hearing, and they help us connect with God. You know, we kind of joke that us teachers like to make church go too long. Well, if the sermon goes too long, it's probably the teacher's fault. But if worship goes too long, it's probably the prophet's fault. <laughs> they just couldn't get enough, you know? Like, we sang a couple songs, and then, like, man, something, something's happening. And, like, you know, Marcus will come up and be like, God's doing stuff. And Tim will come up and be like, let's hear from the Lord. Like, let's ask for healing. And, you know, we have Sundays where, like, who led church today? And, like, my son said, well, Jesus did. Yep. <laughs> so prophets, they point our focus toward God, and we need that. You know, we've got the apostles pushing us forward, doing kingdom work, and we've got these, the prophetic people who are saying, don't stop leaning in. They're really good at cultivating an encounter with God, which is not the same thing as emotional manipulation. I know some people will say, like, well, they strategically chose the worship songs to go with the word during the ministry time, but that was all planned and everything, and they're just, like, playing on your emotions. That's different. Sure, that can be a thing. Some people might do that. Some churches, not this one. <laughs> but people who are constantly hungry for God's presence naturally point our attention to God and because of who they are, they set the tone for encounters with God. Not because they want to manipulate you, but because they're already there. They're already leaning in, and they show us how to lean in. They also challenge spiritual drift, areas where we might be going wrong, growing stagnant, um, whether it's individually or corporately. And so we need the prophets in the church to help guide us in the right direction toward God's heart. So the apostles guide us in action, and the prophets guide us in leaning in to the Lord. Next, we have the evangelists. And evangelists get a bad rap because people call them like the car salesmen of the church or something. Um, but that's, that's not what they are. And there's a lot of misconceptions about evangelists. Like, well, evangelists are the extroverts. They're the ones that will stand on the street corner with a megaphone and you know, and try and get people to talk to them and engage, and, you know, they're out there trying to win souls, and they're kind of weird. I mean, th there might be some out there that that's their style, but 
That's not what an evangelist is. Evangelists just love sharing. You ever had a friend who got into one of those direct sales corporations? I've done it. I've done it. I probably tried to sell some of you guys books. I love books. I can't get enough books. But they just love sharing when they find something that they love that does something in their life. They're like, man, you got to get a piece of this. You got to read this book. You got to do this thing. You got to try this product. You got to hear about my Jesus. And that doesn't mean that they're all loud and pushy. <laughs> you know, you don't have to be extroverted to share Jesus. In fact, some people are not going to want to hear Jesus from somebody who is so friendly. Some people are going to wait for the person who will know them for a long time at work and be like, yeah, we've hardly had any real conversation. What do you like outside of work? Oh, yeah, I, I'm pretty quiet, but, but I really love my church. Really, what's your church like? It doesn't have to be an extrovert thing. So evangelists, in one form or another, whether loudly or quietly, they love to share what has been so good for them. And they're good at connecting with people, whether it's stories or experiences or like, you play Dungeons and Dragons too? Yes, I do. But th they get the word in naturally, one way or another. They love to share. They also have this knack for being really inclusive and seeing the people who are a little more marginalized. I had a friend who, uh, she said, I don't really like going to church because all the people on stage are beautiful people. She called them beautiful people. And said, if you're not lovely, you don't get to play a part. I said, what? Where have you been going? Because somewhere she got the idea that we only reach pretty people for Christ? I don't know. We only give, give opportunities to a select few. She needed somebody to see her and say, you're beautiful, and God made you a gift. You need to come back. We need you. We need your gift. Don't cheat us out of who you are. A lot of people need to be seen, and we need evangelists. Now, evangelists also, within the church, they point our ministry focus outward. And I don't know about you, but I need, I need help with that. Because as a teacher, I'm, I'm good right here. Like, this is fun. <laughs> this is so good. Like, how could anyone want to do anything but just like, oh, man, I got to Google that word. What does that mean? And I could do that for hours and not reach anybody. I could just get a really big head, <laughs> you know? So I need to be reminded, like, there's people out there. They need to be reached. We need a culture. We need programs and just organic culture that's enthusiastic about getting out there to live the Great Commission. We also need to cultivate a deep commitment to Christ. And evangelists, one of the things that they get a bad rap about is like, oh, you're just about getting people through the doors. You don't care about what happens to them once they're there. No, evangelists care. They do. Like, have more than one conversation with evangelists. They're probably going to be nurturing along the way, not just saying, like, get your butt in a chair. Because evangelists love to develop disciple-making disciples. Like, if, if you want to just make an evangelist day, just go up to them and say, hey, can you help me 
to do for other people what someone did for me when they introduced me to Jesus. Like, let's keep this thing going. That's absolutely their jam. So next we have the shepherds. Now, shepherds, in some translations, it'll say pastors. And you know what's really funny about the word pastor? It does mean shepherd. Um, and out of all of these five titles, pastor is the least used title in all of the epistles. All of Paul's instructions for the church, like all the letters written that were passed around to all the early churches, they hardly ever use the word pastor or shepherd. And yet, somehow that's become our catch-all word. Like, that describes everyone who's in ministry. Now, I'm not saying don't call him Pastor Tim. He's Teacher Tim. Don't call her Pastor Sharon. You know, it's okay to use that word. People know what it means. And culturally, it does help us to distinguish who does stuff. But it has a meaning of its own. Now, shepherds help to, well, shepherd the flock. Jesus refers to the church as his sheep a lot, and a shepherd's heart is a frequent um, illustration that Jesus used in his own teaching and even in reference to himself because he's the greatest example. But we need to know what shepherds really look like so that we know what expectations to place on actual shepherds versus someone who just has the title pastor because we need to be fair. We'll get into that later. So the shepherds are caretakers of the flock. They're the ones who are naturally tuned into the needs around them, and they cultivate this spiritual health and wellness focus where people's needs are met, people are cared for. They're invited into community. They are seen, and, like, a shepherd is the kind of person that, like, as they get to know you, they start to call out your potential. And sometimes you're like, no, 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 I just want to sit in a chair. Don't tell me I gotta do stuff yet, and there might be a season where you're meant to sit in a chair. But the shepherds are gonna find you, and they're gonna love you, and you're gonna not be able to help, but love to be in community. Not because people are perfect, but because we're meant for it. And shepherds are aware of what's in people, and they call it out. You might know some shepherds inside or outside of the church because they'll be like coaches or therapists or you know, people who help you guide uh, or help guide you to use what's been put into you, whether that's spiritually or just practically. Uh, shepherds are very good at that. Now, within the church, the shepherds point our energy and resources towards each other. Because if we're only reaching people out there, but then as soon as they come in here, we don't really have anything going on for health and growth, that's going to be a problem. So the shepherds point our focus toward including and caring for each other within the church, not necessarily within the walls, but within the body. And they mentor and influence people toward compassionate leadership because if you've been in the church long enough, you might have encountered somebody who did not have compassionate leadership. It's a thing, and we really need the shepherds to remind us what good, compassionate leadership looks like. Jesus was moved with compassion. Like almost everything that he did, he was moved with compassion, and we need that. Um, otherwise, us teachers might just go around whacking you with a Bible. See, we need each other. <laughs> we also need the shepherds to promote spiritual maturity because it's really easy to enjoy the shallow stuff. And sometimes we need the shepherds to remind us 
we're supposed to be growing. We're not supposed to be just on the milk. We're supposed to be eating solid food. We're supposed to be learning and growing and teaching each other. And the shepherds also protect us. They have a knack for seeing, you know, the wolves in sheep's clothing or recognizing, you know, I know that idea sounds great, but let me tell you, it's an idea that came from the world and then people started spiritualizing it and trying to act like it was a good thing, but like, let's dig into the roots here and not let, you know, anti-biblical ideas into the truth. We need to hold to the, just the truth. All right, so we've got the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and now the teachers. Now, teachers probably have been given the biggest voice in the church over the several hundred years of church history. And the APs and Es have kind of been put on the back burner, if not actually excluded from the church. And that's a sad thing, because us teachers can't do everything. Not at all. But we are a gift. <laughs> so the teachers are the instructors, the informers, the trainers. When Pastor Tim was guiding me through figuring out who I am in Christ, the word that I landed on was translator. Because the thing that I like to do is take something that is a complicated concept and present it in whichever way any individual needed it to be. I homeschooled my kids, and between the three of them, they had three different learning styles, and I, you know, that could have driven me crazy, but I was like, this is, this is great. I love this. I have to teach everything three different ways. When you're in the church, you might need to teach it 200 different ways, but that's what we do. But teachers communicate biblical truth, and they love studying it, and a healthy teacher isn't afraid to find out that they're wrong because we're never going to have everything figured out in the Bible. It's just that good. But we can promote growth in knowledge and understanding and the application and passion for the scriptures. We can teach you how to read the Bible for yourself because the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and shepherds also need to get in the word. But a teacher's goal is not just information, or shall I say, a, a healthy teacher's goal is not just illumination. Like I said, I could just chill right here for a long time and just get a big head. But the goal is illumination and comprehension for transformation. If it doesn't change your life, it's just going to inflate you. But teachers point our focus towards scripture. They keep us grounded in the truth. They also cultivate like a training environment. It's like, do we have any classes going on right now? We definitely need some classes going on. Like, what are we doing on Wednesday nights? Are, are people available on a day besides Wednesdays? Do we do Sunday school? Like, you know, they can't get enough of this training and learning environment. And they nurture scriptural comprehension. If you've ever been in a small group with a teacher who was not leading the small group, you probably know who the teachers are. <laughs> That's how I got outed. Couldn't keep my mouth shut. <laughs> But it can be a good thing when you're digging into the word together and someone is willing to talk about it and facilitate that healthy dialogue um, because we need that. None of us can just read the Bible and, and know what it says and what it means and how it should be applied in every situation. We need that dialogue. Now, it's kind of easy to say, like, well, I think I might be a teacher, but I really, really don't want to say so because, like, you figured out that you're a teacher and then they made you get up there. Um, not all teachers have to have a microphone. There's actually a lot of purposes for teachers. Like, it could be that you end up preaching someday. It might be that 
you have a small group. If you're like, no, I, I still don't, I don't do the leading people thing. You know what? It could be that you create learning tools. You know, it might be that you're the one who comes up with some great questions for your small group, even though you're not the one leading it. It could be that you say, you know, I've been doing a study about such and such, and I think it'd make a great Wednesday night class. Would you want me to put that in paper form? And, you know, and Pastor Tim goes, yes. <laughs> yeah, you know, because he can't be the only one who does that kind of stuff. That'd be too much. None of us can do it all. So as we've kind of dug through a little bit about each of the APES gifts, you might have said, well, I think, I think this one sounds like me. I, th I think maybe. And keep in mind that some of them might sound intimidating. And you're like, I don't know if I like that one. There's two things. Some of the gifts tend to be a little intimidated by each other because we push and pull each other. And it might be that the one that's the most intimidating is the one that's actually the most like a healthy version of you. So, <laughs> ask the Holy Spirit, all right? And next we're gonna talk about why are the APES gifts important? Because they're important as a whole and individually. I mean, they're important to the group because Jesus gave all of them, and he was the greatest team builder. So it just makes sense that if he says, you know what, this is what I'm giving you to build the church, that we would want all of them. But they're also important individually because we're not all the same. We were made with distinct purposes so that we can pull each other in all the directions that Christ desires for us to grow. So first of all, we need the apostles. Yeah, we're going to talk about why we need each of these. So the apostles in partnership. I want you to notice I said partnership, not ministry, because I don't want anyone in this room to say, well, I'm not in ministry, so I'll just hang back. Because really this stuff can be useful in your marriage. It can be useful in your job. It can be useful in your family. So we need each other in these walls and in just being Christ where he puts us. So we need the apostles. Apostles, we need you. So prophets, you need the apostles because when you have a revelation, you need to be able to turn it into action. And having a friend who has that strategic kingdom-driven mindset can turn your revelation into an action plan. Shepherds, you might be great at gathering and nurturing people. An apostle can help you turn that into a team. Evangelists need the apostles because sometimes a heart to reach people with no strategy is just exhausting, and we need to partner up. And teachers, we need the apostles because we need to not just dig into the word. We need to equip people for ministry work. We need to actually put these things into action. Let's not just fill people with information about God. By teaming up with an apostle, we can train kingdom workers. If we don't do that, where's the church going to be next generation? So next, the prophets. We need to partner with the prophets. The apostles need the prophets because the apostles have a lot of great ideas, and we need to know if they line up with God's heart. In Proverbs 19.2, it says, Enthusiasm without understanding is no good. He who is hasty will miss the way. So it's very important 
to be able to knock your ideas around with, with other insightful people and say, okay, is this a good idea or a God idea? Because those are both good things, but only one of them is God's. And shepherds, we need the prophets paired up with the shepherds because you need to know what the good shepherd is doing and what he wants for his sheep. And teachers, we need the prophets because we need well-rounded discipleship. We need to ensure that believers are not just getting their heads filled with knowledge because we do want a scripture-shaped walk with God, but we also need it to be spirit-led. We also need to be spirit-filled. We, we can't just make this an intellectual walk. I did it for years. Trust me, it's exhausting. <laughs> so for the evangelists, we need, we need you guys. The apostles need the evangelists to help them prioritize the Great Commission. With all those ideas and brilliant plans that they have, it can be hard to prioritize. And an evangelist can help prioritize that. You know what? God's heart is to seek out that lost sheep. So we need some action plans that involve getting out there. Shepherds need evangelists because as you nurture and empower and release people into ministry, well, if we don't have anyone doing evangelist work, we're going to run out of people. <laughs> so they're probably bringing in more people, and you need to be able to see those people, not just the ones that are in your little group. So we need the shepherds and evangelists partnered up so that more people are being seen and trained and released and seen and trained and released. All right, and as teachers, we need the evangelists because we like to go deep, yes, and that's good. Go deep, but we need to not forget to teach and create resources for every level, including those who are brand new believers and even those who are still seeking. You know, if everything is super deep and difficult and in Christianese, we're going to lose some people. So as teachers, we need the evangelists as well. All right, you know, shepherds, we need you guys. <laughs> the apostles need the shepherds to remind them that people are the mission. Because it's really easy to let ideas become about being bigger, better, newer, neater. But it's about people. That's what God is about. Kingdom ambition is fantastic, but it's not just about what's next. It's about who. Where are we going and who are we going to reach along the way? The evangelists need the shepherds because... We need to not just reach people, but grow people. We need discipleship and growth happening. And the evangelists and shepherds, like that's a winning combo for getting people rooted, not just converted. The prophets need the shepherds to keep them tuned to the flock as well as the good shepherd because it's really easy for us to get this idea that prophets are the people that just have their head in the clouds and they don't really pay attention to the people around us. Well, they just need to be partnered with. And teachers, we need shepherds because it's really easy to get theological and dry and intellectual. And we need to connect the word of God with the needs of the church where we are placed. Like, even this teaching might not be what needs to be shared at the church down the street. So if I barged in there and said, you all need to hear this, without talking to their shepherd about where they're at and what they're doing, how they're growing... That would just be foolish. We need to be wise. Teachers are needed. Now, the apostles need teachers to convey the biblical grounds, the support for the vision. The prophets need the teachers to get 
revelation anchored in Scripture. Like the Bible says, test every spirit. And we want to make sure that Scripture is the, the grounding point. And evangelists, now it's great if you have a bracelet with the colors that help you share the gospel. It's great. But if you can't explain it with depth and substance, you're going to run into people who have questions that the Romans road doesn't address. And so getting depth of knowledge of the gospel and substance to hand people is, is important. And finally, the shepherds need the teachers because when we're training people and releasing them to do ministry, they need tools. We need to equip them. And next, we, we got to talk about, like, what do we do with this? I mean, it, it's great to see that, you know, we all have gifts. God is so good to us. He has so much faith in our, you know, our broken selves that he says we can do these things. But what do we do with it? Well, on a big scale, let's make this practical. An apest-informed church can have a lot less church drama. And I know this is kind of a sensitive subject because there's real, real church hurts that happen. Okay, I've been there. I've spent, you know, a decade having nightmares about church hurt. And I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not. And I'm not going to tell you, oh, don't go to that church. Don't, don't go to pastor so-and-so. No, that's not what the body of Christ is supposed to do. But the church is full of humans. So for the real, real church hurts that have happened, I'm sorry. I've probably been involved in some of them, even though I'm not a pastor. Because it doesn't just happen on the pastoral level. So I'm not saying you've never been a victim. Just hush. You're being dramatic. That's a different thing, okay? There are people who have truly fallen victim to bad theology, lack of character, and those are serious issues that just knowing the apest stuff isn't going to solve. But some of the lighter drama, I could take a breath, we're just talking about the, <laughs> the lighter stuff. Some of that can be a lot less when we're apest informed. You know how we talked about how the, the term pastor kind of makes it so we put all the expectations on one person because that's the guy in charge. So you have a need, he's going to solve it. He's not supposed to solve it. But if we can recognize who is who in the eyes of God, who he made them to be, what he created them to do, how we can partner with them, we can have a whole lot less relational ambiguity. You know, it's funny. I could tell you the APES gifts of our entire pastoral team, but I'm not going to. Because you should ask them, but not just the pastors. Like, at the end of this, I don't want you to beeline for Pastor Tim and go, which one are you? <laughs> like, talk to the person next to you. Find out what they are. Because when we know what God made us for, we can have realistic expectations of each other. We can stop correcting each other for the wrong things. You know, we can stop saying... Okay, Kristen, you're, <laughs> you're nice, you like people, but you're a terrible evangelist. Well, yeah, it's because it's lowest on my APES profile, and it's an area I need growth in, but thanks for stomping on me, <laughs> right? Now, if you come and say, like, hey, I, you know, 
you, you said multiple times that you're a teacher, you know, here's a little helpful feedback. You know, this was an unclear area. All right, I love feedback that actually relates to where I meant to be used and I meant to grow. So before you attack a pastor or another member of the church for disappointing you, maybe find out if you were expecting something that they actually should have delivered on or not. So between relational ambiguity and these just vague, unclear, unmet expectations, we end up with a lot of disappointment, hurt feelings, and sometimes even gossip and division. And if we can avoid those things, like, this could actually be a place where we have healthy community. So let's do church. Informed church. Now, that's not to say that oh, we've been doing church wrong all these years, we better overhaul everything. No, just have a conversation with your neighbor. Learn who is what. You don't need to bash your old church. You don't need to bash, you know, the last season that our church went through. Just learn who's what. Honor who they truly are. Only correct them when it's actually relevant to who they are. And this one, this is a big one. I'm going to try not to get on a soapbox about it. We need to normalize forwarding. Okay, if you go to a member of the pastoral team and say, hey, I've got this issue, I've got this need, and they say, wow, thank you for bringing that to me. Like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to call so-and-so over here, and we're going to invite them into this conversation because this is what they do. And then they bow out of that conversation. They did not just tell you they don't care about your need. They referred you to a specialist. Like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want someone to say, you know what, I've got to fix everything and dishonor your need by not engaging relationship with the person who was built to meet that need. All right, so if you get forwarded, they are honoring your need and they are honoring the other person. All right? Okay, on to happier sounding things. So what do I do with APES? Just, like, what can I do? I'm, I'm a teacher, so I'm like, what's my homework? Now, you might have noticed that you're already doing your gift in one way or another. You know, you might go, well, I never really thought of myself as a shepherd, but, like, that's kind of what I do in the classroom. And, like, I actually enjoy, you know, bringing people together and getting people going in the same direction and making sure all my little kiddos are nurtured and cared for. And, you know, if I find out something's going on at home, I am calling a parent because these are my babies. You know, that's... That's a shepherd thing. So watch for those things in your life because you're probably already doing them. And the question that we need to ask ourselves on a personal level, so you're always building someone's kingdom, the question is whose? Now, I'm not saying quit your job as a school teacher because you're meant to shepherd in this building. Not at all. Like, you can be the church outside of the church walls. Like, if you all went out and quit your jobs, that'd be a problem. But are you doing those things for the Lord? Are you doing kingdom work inside and outside of these walls? And also, don't keep it simple. If you think you might be a thing, learn about it. Dig deep. Because you can't grow about what you don't know about. If you're not willing to learn more, maybe look through your Bible and go, let's see, I think I might be an evangelist. Who was an evangelist? Hey, Philip sounds like an evangelist. What was he like? You know, you can find more about yourself in Scripture. Did you know you were in the Bible? 
Okay, maybe not like that. But, but you can find people like you in Scripture and go, dude, God really does use people like me. And that's exciting. You can also find resources and talk to leaders and connect with other people. So dig for yourself. Um, there's a slide with some links. You might want to snap a picture of it um, because these are some great resources. I mean, if you read them too closely, you might be like, she used that exact phrase. Well, that's because sometimes people say things just right, and it's just good. You know, why rephrase it? Why break, or why fix what's not broken? You know? But fivefoldministry.com has a free assessment. If, you're, if you want a little quiz, like those some are sometimes fun and informative. 5qcentral.com has a $10 assessment, so it's, it's not free, but it goes a little more in depth, and it'll tell you a little bit more about your giftings, what's primary, secondary, some strengths and weaknesses, um, you know, where it's found in Scripture, examples of who in Scripture you might want to look up, um, things like that. So it is $10, but you, you get a little more out of it. And Anthony Hilder, his website is kind of geared more towards leadership, but I would still strongly encourage you to read stuff that is for leaders because, one, it'll make you a better follower, and two, you might be a leader in the making. So, like, don't take a look at things and go like, oh, he's talking to pastors, so forget about it, all right? Now, here's the really cool thing, and maybe this will get some conversations flowing as you talk with the person next to you. As you learn alongside people with the same purpose as you, a really cool thing happens. Let's see if we can go to the next slide. So we have a, a prism representing a healthy, Christ-centered church. Now, when you get in the room with people who are like you, at first, everyone looks the same. So we're all teachers. We're all apostles, you know, whatever. But as the community comes together and Jesus starts doing his thing, you start seeing nuance. You start seeing differences. You start seeing, like, different life stories, different cultural backgrounds, different other spiritual gifts on the tool belt of someone with the same purpose, but they do it a little differently, and you start to see distinct gifts. And then, as you get in the room with people who have a different gift from you, on the next slide, you have your distinct gifts coming in, and you, you find yourself on a team where you've got an apostle, and a prophet, and an evangelist, and a shepherd, and a teacher. And you start to realize, like, whoa, we all come together to do God's work and his light shines. And it's not any one of us because we're his body. It's all of us. And he fully believes that we can do this because it says that he's going to keep doing this. He's going to keep giving these gifts to the church until we come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. I can hardly believe that he believes that for us. Like, that's mind-blowing. So, let's get in community and learn together.